This is Capital Cast from Capital News Illinois. I'm Jennifer Fuller. We're continuing our Influential Illinoisans series this week with a conversation with former U.S. Representative Sherry Bustos. The Quad Cities Democrat has a long pedigree in Illinois politics and put that to use in Washington. You know, I, I, I was really so lucky to have a great mom and dad. And um, the way my dad, who was particularly influential in my life, um, he always said to my sister and to me, and we, we had a brother and my sister and me, was that we could do whatever the heck we wanted to do. And he also taught us that we are no better than anybody, but nor are we any worse than anybody. So it's like I just always had that in my mind, and I cannot think of a time, with one exception, that I felt intimidated or shy around any man um, or felt less than any man. I just, like, and again, I feel so lucky, and I, I would say if there's something I could bestow and wish upon any younger person, it would be self-confidence. Um, I don't. I don't think we had self confidence in the sense that we were, um, you know, thought thought we were, you know, great or anything like that. But we just thought we were no better than anybody, nor any worse than anybody. And and by the way, my one exception, I'll just share that with you real quick. Where I was tongue tied, I met John F. Kennedy Jr. Um, when I was an intern in Washington D.C. And um, it was more just I would have been, gosh, 20 years old. And it was more that, and he was my contemporary, we're the, the same age, and it was more like, oh my God, this guy's gorgeous. <laughs> and it was just like, that's the only time I can think of, like, I didn't know what to say. But, but other than that, I just, I feel like um, I, I've got a healthy level of self-confidence, and I've also got, to your earlier point, I have a healthy level of ambition, and I want to be good at what it is I do and so I you know I think we do our homework and have a good work ethic and um, I think all that plays into it. You mentioned your dad who was one of the more influential political voices in the room. Um, You have a political pedigree. When did you know you wanted to go into political life? Well, I actually did not plan to run for office. I've been around politics my whole life. Um, So my dad, his name was Gene Callahan. He passed away in 2014. uh, But he was, his political background was, he was a journalist, wrote a a five-day-a-week political column out of Springfield, Illinois, for the newspaper. At the time, it was the Register. Now it's the, you know, the Journal Register. And um, he at one point went to his boss and said he needed a raise because there were, you know, there were, he had three kids and he couldn't afford uh, having three kids. And the the editor said, well, Gene, you're already the best paid reporter in the newsroom. I can't pay you anymore. And so he had to leave because he just, like, literally he and my mom couldn't afford us. <laughs> and so he works uh, for Governor Kerner back in the, so this this goes way back. So the listeners will have to go way back in their memory or they probably don't might not even have a memory, but he was a deputy press secretary. And then a guy named Sam Shapiro was the governor and he was his deputy press secretary. And then there was a guy named Paul Simon who um, was uh, wanted to, uh, he was running for lieutenant governor. And my dad became his chief of staff. 
And so, um, and Paul Simon hired a guy named Dick Durbin, who was fresh out of law school. And um, so my dad was Dick Durbin's boss. And um, at one point, Paul Simon lived with our family. Then my dad would go on to work for a guy named Alan Dixon, who was the state treasurer, then secretary of state, and then U.S. senator. So we have been around Democratic politicians, um, you know, since I was a little girl. And um, my grandpa was a state legislator. He was a hog farmer out of Iroquois County, which is a very Republican county, but he was a Democrat. And uh, uh, so he was a state legislator. And because we grew up in Springfield, my grandma and grandpa would stay with us when, when the legislature was in session. So, you know, all of this, I share all this because these are the best, just great memories. Um, my dad was the kind of guy who never shoot us away and would say, this is an adult conversation, you can't be here. Never did he do that. And I, I, you know, my price of admission to sitting at the table alongside some of these legends was I would have to go to the refrigerator and pop a Budweiser for him. And, you know, and I, I still remember, I'd go behind, this is, this is probably my love of the beer to this day, but I'd duck my head down and take a quick swig and then go deliver the, the can of Bud to him. But, um, so I, I just would sit there and listen and just was fascinated by all these stories. That said, I was a political science major, but never thought I would run for office. I just, I wanted to be around people who I loved. And like, these are people I loved. I just I was fascinated by them and, and always, you know, we talked about being an elected official in the highest of terms. Like, this was a calling, this was, these are good, honorable people, and um, they were always, my dad always talked about helping people, it was always through that lens, so I thought, I just want to work for, for good people. So, major in political science, I went to University of Maryland, um, and got out, and I interned with the Illinois State Senate, and um, I hated it. I mean, like, I hated it. I sat in a room with three other interns, two of whom I keep in touch with to this day and are my friends. Um, but we sat in this room, little bitty room, no windows, and analyzed bills all day. So we'd get these, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50-page bills, and we'd have to write a one-page synopsis. And I literally am like, this is politics. This isn't, you know, I like to go to the events and I like to talk to people and I like to be around people and I want to help people. And, it, and so I finished that internship and it's like, I, I'm kind of heartbroken because I major in this. I think this is what I want to do and I hate it. So I go back to school um, to the program actually that Paul Simon founded and you're aware of it because you went through the Public Affairs Reporting Program, but it's called Public Affairs Reporting. It is at now, it's called University of Illinois at Springfield. And um, I, it's, it's a journalism program. It's, it's covering the kind of people that, you know, I knew growing up. And so I became a journalist. And uh, by the way, a side note, I had two job offers at the end of my internship. One was at the Southern Illinoisan um, here in Carbondale. And the other one was at the Quad City Times in Davenport, Iowa. So I end up taking the Quad City Times. I always lived in the Illinois Quad Cities though, because it's like Illinois is my home. I plan to live in Illinois the rest of my life. So I lived in Moline, Illinois, would cross the Mississippi River every day to go into work um, and uh, became a journalist. And as, as you know, when you're a journalist, you can't do anything politically. You cover everybody. 
you covered, you know, whether it's the state legislature, which I started out doing in the internship, um, and then covered uh, the police beat and then city hall, and but covered people who were running for office. So for 17 years, I was a journalist for 17 years, did not pound a yard sign, did not go to a political fundraiser, did not make a political contribution, did not knock any doors, did not do anything politically except for vote. And so to your question, I did not plan to run for office. And certainly I thought I'd be a journalist the rest of my life. Um, just, you know, zero plans to ever run for office. You talked about your dad instilled in you, you know, you got to do your homework. Mm-hmm. You're no better, you're no worse, but you got to do your homework. A journalist is that way. Got to do your homework, got to find the facts. A lot of people look at politics right now and they say, well, it couldn't be any further from that. People aren't doing their homework. People aren't seeking facts. What was your experience like? I, I think you got to go into everything prepared, right? And, um, and and that's, some people say that's more of a female characteristic that um, we can't imagine going into something high stakes and not being entirely prepared. But so in elected office. So if you want to fast forward a little bit, I'll, I'll get to, to the answer there. But so did that for 17 years. All of a sudden, um, I get a job offer out of the blue from the, the CEO of the local health system. I had written a profile about him. He was he had come from Detroit, Michigan to the Quad City. So he was newer to uh, Illinois, had never lived in Illinois. And he realized he wanted to rebuild his entire communications team. He liked the story I wrote, he liked me, he liked how I interviewed him. And so I get a call out of the blue months after I wrote that profile and they ask if I wanna run their communications department. And so I initially say, no thank you, you know, I love what I do. Um, and I go home that night and I tell my husband about this and he said, why would you say no? So why would you just not listen to them? And he said, you know, you will never retire from that newspaper. Because at that point, there had been three rounds of layoffs, you know, and you, you think about this, the state of newspapers today. And, um, but I just like, gosh, I can't imagine leaving behind this profession that I loved. I mean, I literally, I've had four professions now to this day, including if you put serving in Congress in there, I loved being a journalist more than anything else I've ever done professionally, loved it. But I ended up taking that um, and ended up doing that for, 10 years, worked my way up to be vice president of actually a multi-billion dollar health system in multiple states. And that allowed me then to get involved in politics. All right, because I'm away from journalism. I um, ended up running for city council in East Moline, Illinois. This was all at the encouragement of the CEO of our health system. Um, He wanted everybody on his senior leadership team to be involved in the community and um, so I ran, I was on the city council, um, won a competitive race there, and I, I loved that. I, like, there were some days I loved that more than my, my day job. It just was very satisfying to me. And um, so I'm, I'm in my 10th year of doing this, and we elect uh, in the district that I represented a Republican who identified as a Tea Partier who was, his big issue was to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. Okay, so here I am working in healthcare. We elect this guy who's a Tea Partier. We elect this guy who wants to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. When I know, when anybody working in healthcare knows that we are on this unsustainable path from a cost perspective and a patient outcome perspective, 
And at the same time, here's another Carbondale connection. My only brother um, was on his deathbed when that guy was elected and died within a week of that and had terrible medical bills because he had a long battle with, with cancer. And, you know, luckily my mom and my dad and my sister and I, and, you know, even like doing fundraisers helped make sure that his family didn't have to go through bankruptcy because his bills were so terrible. So, I, you know, I knew we were lucky enough that we could help, but most families are not. And so that was a motivation for me. Um, so I make a decision to run for Congress. And so I left my job in healthcare, ran for Congress. Um, we can get into all kinds of side stories on that if, if you want to go there, that way. But um, so end up uh, defeating this guy who's an incumbent. And, you know, I mean, it's hard to defeat an incumbent a member of Congress. It doesn't happen that often. But uh, defeated him, actually beat him by six points. And um, uh, in a district that, by the way, a, a few years, years later, flipped 17 points from Barack Obama in 2012 to Donald Trump in 2016. 17 point swing in the district. I ended up winning by 20 points that year that Donald Trump won the district that I represented, which was one of the biggest margins of any Democrat in the country in a Trump district. Um, so that gets to the point of, of your question about, you know, people who just aren't prepared, whether, you know, it's people pretending to be reporters or whether it's people in elected office who you kind of like, you cannot think of any rationale why they would be either for something or against something if they actually read the bill. So, you know, yeah, there's all kinds of people who, again, in journalism and in, uh, in politics that aren't prepared. And um, especially when you look at, at politics, it is, you know, you, you owe it to the people who elect you to do your job and to do it to the best of your ability and to be able to explain whatever your voting record is. And that's, that's part of the job. And even when you're having people yell at you and who are angry with you about a, a vote, you owe it to them to be able to explain, this is why I voted the way I did, and to try to be rational about the explanation. You touched on this a little bit. You navigated a time as you were in Congress where there were a lot of people saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. People who maybe you would call them career politicians, but other people would say, no, these are lifetime public servants. Two different ways to describe the same person. How did you navigate that? Because, you know, I heard from people as I was covering um, Jerry Costello, for example, uh, John Shimkus on the other side of the, of the aisle saying, Congress is not what it was when I entered. I don't want to do this anymore. How did you navigate that as they were all saying, I can't do this, you forged ahead and said, no, no, we've got to keep going. Well, I think you always have to have hope. I still have hope today, even though politics, even in my 10 years in the U.S. House of Representatives, it changed a lot. Think about, I was in from 2013, January of 2013 to January of 2023. Think about in that, in that time, you had Barack Obama just elected to a second term. Four years later, again, the 17-point swing in the congressional district I represented, then, you, then the uh, public elects Donald Trump. And then four years after that, uh, the public elects uh, Joe Biden. And um, right before swearing in, or before the inauguration, right after, uh, you know, two days after that term, uh, the, the members who were elected to the House and the Senate were sworn in, um, you have January 6th happen, three days after. Um, 
And so that is a, uh, you can, I certainly understand why um, someone like Jerry Costello said it was time to, to move on. Uh, Jerry's a, a dear friend of our families. I have great respect for him. I was just with John, John Shimkus a couple weeks ago at the right outside the Farm Progress show up in Decatur. Um, they're, they're both good men, different politics, very different politics um, between the two of them. But uh, for me, you know, it took 10 years, and actually January 6th was the last straw for my family. They were at home and watching. I actually sent them a text. We were on a, you know, we have a family text chain. I said, just want to let you know I'm okay. And they all responded, what do you mean you're okay? Because none of them were watching TV. And, um, and so I said, well, turn on the TV. And so... Um, I was on the House floor when, when that happened. I mean, it is life-changing when you've got, you know, an angry group of people who want to come in and um, disrupt <laughs> democracy, I, I guess if you want to look at, that in the, look at that in the most simplest of terms, but where you've got the you know, police officer telling you to get ready to get on the floor, get ready to put on your gas masks, um, you know, getting evacuated from the house of, or the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives and um, you know so it just it, it changes your life and really your outlook but again I, I can't say that that was my last straw but for my family it was we had we had a family meeting on Easter after that happened and um, we have three sons and three daughters-in-law and three grandkids and nobody wanted me to run again except for one daughter-in-law and, but the consensus was, hey, you're, you know, by Washington standards, you're a baby, you know? <laughs> I mean, I still have plenty of life and energy and all of that. And um, they just said, there's other things you can do with your, with your abilities. So I made the decision. It was, gosh, probably just a, within a few weeks, I made the announcement that I wasn't running for re-election. Was that a difficult decision for you personally, given, given your childhood, your, your ambition to, to do this or... Yeah. To be a part of it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it was. I Look, even even through, I, I would say 95% of the job that I had as a member of Congress, I loved. And that's, you know, that's pretty darn good if you love 95% of your job. The 5%, though, the only problem with the 5% is it could really be bad. The 5% could just be soul-sucking bad. And, um, and so, uh, but, but I also wanted to respect my family and it's a family affair you know when you're when you're in office it is a family affair every two years is it's brutal that you have to run for re-election again I was a Democrat in the Trump district so just for context by the time I left this past January there were only three Democrats in the whole country serving in Trump districts who won in 16 18 and 20 only three and so um, it's that's a rarity it's for if people are going to vote for Donald Trump, for the most part, they're not going to vote for a Democrat. But but they did, and um, you know. But but the the elections were getting harder and harder, and the protests were getting louder and louder, and the threats were becoming more and more. And you know, so those were the the when I talk about the five percent, that was all part of that, including the day after January six when I hop a plane to fly back to Illinois, and there's literally an insurrection in the sky in a plane um, where I'm heading to O'Hare Airport that had to be greeted by um, police when we landed because of what what was going on in the in the air you know whatever what are you 30,000 feet up or whatever it is 
Um, you know, so it just, yeah, a lot of, to your point of Jerry Costello and John Shimkus making those decisions not to run again. I mean, you, you know, all of that um, weighs into those kind of decisions. But, but um, you know, I, I understand Jerry making that decision. I understand John making the, that decision. It's not something that I'm sure you just step away from. I'm sure you're still very involved in local campaigns, in, in larger campaign infrastructure. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you hope for the future? What do you see within the Democratic Party now? And what do you hope for the future, both in 2024 and even beyond that? I believe that the Democratic Party uh, has a lot of work to do in rural America. You know, I have, I've been a downstater um, in Illinois my whole life. I've never lived in Chicago. Um, it's only right now I'm, I actually have an office in Chicago now that where I spend some time. But, um, you know, I, I now live in a town of 3,500 people. Um, and I, I'm the granddaughter of a hog farmer and the niece of dairy farmers and the cousins of Angus farmers, and they all grow corn and beans. I mean, we're all farmers on my dad's side of the family. And um, this feeling that Democrats talk down to, to um, folks in smaller towns or don't get people in smaller towns, I, I want to do something about that. And because those are the, the people I represented for 10 years. The 85% of the towns in the congressional district I represented are, have 5,000 people or fewer. And 60% have 1,000 people or fewer. And we had um, close to 10,000 family farms and 90,000 uh, people in organized labor. So it's, it's blue collar, it's agriculture. And um, this term coastal elite um, of, of Democrats, I think we, rather than say, oh, it's not true or, or um, act like that's not the party, we need to address this. I think uh, Joe Biden is trying hard to do that. You know, whether it's rural broadband, you know, the state of Illinois has got more than $100 million um, in the state to make sure that if you live in a smaller town, um, we can bring broadband to the smaller towns. I, I know how important it is in where, where we live. Um, it is sometimes you can't make phone calls even, cell phone calls. Um, so and, and getting online, sometimes it's spotty. So that is really important as we're talking here in 2023 that we have that. Um, but I, I think that's really important. I think the other thing is um, just, just really when we talk about being a big tent party, we got to mean it. And that means that if, you're, if your views are, let's say, slightly out of the norm of being a Democrat, well then, you know, let's let's not exclude people who might have different views than if you're more of an urban um, dem Democrat. So I, I think those are some of the things that that we have to work on. But um, I, showing up is important. Listening is important. Um, again, to have 150 towns in the congressional district that I represented, I I can't say that I was in all 150, but I was sure in the vast majority of them, whether it was going to the small town libraries or walking the aisles of the grocery store, or I job shadowed people. I did a, we called them Sherry on Shift, where I job shadowed 120 different people over the years. And, and basically, you know, the, the so-called walking a mile in their shoes to understand how hard people work, how hard some jobs are, um, how hard it can be to make your budget work and 
to do something nice for your kids, uh, to buy them something nice. Uh, I, I hope that if there's anything that I would say about those experiences that I had a deeper understanding because I actually took the time to um, talk with them, try out their job and um, learn a little bit more about them. One last question and it gets back to hope. So do you still have hope that the country can maybe shake off the polarization that we see so often and get back to the kind of politics that you grew up on? I think we're going to have to change some things um, in, in electoral politics. I think the uh, ruling that any, anybody with money or any corporation with money can give unlimited resources to get their way uh, to elect somebody that agrees with them, whether it's good for America or not, as long as it's good for them or their bottom line, I think that's very harmful to de a democracy. Um, number two, I think gerrymandered districts is also very harmful for democracy. I mean, we've got artificial intelligence now. You could literally ask a robot to draw lo legislative districts that are even and that are not do not lean by multiple points toward one party or the other. I think if you had more um, districts that could go either way, I think that's important. It would it would force people running for office to be more normal instead of leaning to one extreme or the other. And then I think um, the the last thing is I'm really open to this idea of what's called ranked choice voting. So it would get do away with the primary election, where what happens out of primaries is you've got people in the Republican primary who have to go farther and farther and farther right because those are the voters who show up, or on the Democratic side, farther and farther and farther left. And so you've got these severe extremes because of the makeup of these districts. So um, in ranked choice voting, you could have two Republicans who come out of the top, you know, in the top two and have to go on and run in the general. You could have two Democrats. Um, but the extremes are actually not the ones who are going to get the attention and get the votes. So I'm, I wanna, I, I'm open to that idea too. It would be, I mean, look, we're, we're in a blue state and I'm a Democrat, so it's probably like, a, you know, I don't know if somebody will say I'm the Antichrist bringing something like that up, but, but I'm just, I am more in favor of doing right by our children, our families, and getting away from the extremes. I, I think it's the extremes that are really causing a lot of damage to our country. That's former Illinois Congresswoman Sherry Bustos, who now works with Mercury Public Affairs on a variety of public policy issues. You can find more news from Capital News Illinois at our website, capitalnewsillinois.com. For Capital Cast, I'm Jennifer Fuller. <laughs>